You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. The following is special programming aired in collaboration with the Marjorie Barrick Museum of Art on the campus of UNLV. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Katie B. Funk. And my name is Bailey Anderson. And we are here to talk to you today about the emotions of the MFA. Um, before we dive into what exactly that is and what that means, uh, we're going to start with a little introduction of who we are. So again, I'm Katie B. Funk. I am a current UNLV student. I'm a graduate student in the MFA program. I'm a second year um, the kind of art I like to make um, varies pretty broadly. Um, I've been working a lot with cardboard, glitter, wood, metal, paint. Um, I just got a projector that changed my life. So I like to do a lot of different mediums. Um, and then thematically, I work a lot with kind of straddling um, grief and like heavier things and then humor and lighter things and sort of how you can hold both those spaces at once. Um, also, if you've seen anything like SpongeBob related, it was probably me. And um, fun fact, I'm from South Bend, Indiana, and I moved um, to Columbus, Ohio in 2016, lived there for six years, and I moved to here um, in the lovely Las Vegas in 2022. Sweet. Hi, everybody. My name is Bailey. I'm also doing the MFA program, a graduate student, my second year out of three. Um, I do a lot of work with cast metal, fabrics. I'm also a painter. Um, I also am really into cartoons and spaghetti westerns, so um, there's a lot of really fun crossover there. I have a lot of fun with making, you know, Wile E. Coyote contraptions uh, real. I work a lot in cast metal, things like that. So, yeah. Very cool. I love the word spaghetti western. Right. Always make, I instantly think of spaghetti, even though I know it has a different <laughs> definition. <laughs> um, so again, yes, the thing that linking um, the two of us, we are both traversing the halfway point of the MFA program here at UNLV, which is a total of three years. So officially at the end of the semester, we are halfway through. Um, for those of you that may be unfamiliar, an MFA um, or Master of Fine Art is the terminal degree for artists. Uh, globally, however, there are many PhD programs offered in art, um, but the MFA is regarded often as kind of the final stop in an artist's uh, education in the United States. Um, one of the best things about the program here in Las Vegas is the connections and opportunities that we have here on campus alone. So each student is given a private studio space uh, where we can create and reflect, um, rest, read, what have you. Uh, we have plenty of galleries to both visit and curate exhibitions within. We have a massive library that's very easy to get lost in, uh, especially in the art section. And of course, the Marjorie Barrick Museum of Art. So located in the heart of UNLV's campus, the Marjorie Barrick Museum of Art is currently exhibiting the emotional show. Uh, it's one of three current exhibitions on display, and these will be on display until March 16th of 2024. 
The emotional show, which we're going to focus more on today and kind of what we're talking about, explores some of the techniques artists have used to grapple with the demanding and amorphous territory of human emotions. 42 artists represent emotions as a complex array of phenomena, paying um, sorry, paying homage to these sensations that drive our actions and give shape to our lives. Um, kind of regarding this show, if you haven't had the chance to see it in person, um, you can kind of imagine uh, entering the space and immediately being confronted with a massive and pointy yellow piece that we're going to talk about that's an inflatable. Um, and so let's get down to it. We're going to talk about a couple different pieces to kind of give you a teaser of what you can expect at the emotional show. Bailey, would you like to start with our first one? Yeah, sure. So um, the first piece we're going to chat about today is Get Home Safe by Keith Magruder. Get Home Safe is about my childhood growing up in Washington, D.C. in the 80s and 90s. Before we left the house, my grandparents would always say, get home safe, to remind us to watch out for ourselves and whoever we were with. As a child, I spent a lot of my time with my grandparents' house while my mom and dad were at work. My grandmother was a quilt maker, so I'd always hang out with her and I would talk to her while she would make these quilts. She would always tell me about the pattern she was working on and the significance of it and how it related to our family and the Underground Railroad. Sometimes I would ask if I could use some of the leftover fabric and make a fort like the old ones in her war stories I was told. At that point in my life, there was no place safer than my fort, playing with green army men in my grandparents' house. It made me feel like I was in my own world. Yes, and this piece is one of my personal favorites. Um, I think the key thing to look for when you witness this piece in person, everything that you see is made entirely with paper. So the fort that's described, um, there's kind of two chairs holding up a quilt, um, all the little toys and food, every single thing you see is made of paper, which I think makes it all the more impressive for kind of what they, uh, what the artist was talking about um, and sort of that fragile nature of the materials they chose um, to work with. Mentioned earlier, the um, pointy yellow inflatable. It is aptly titled Yellow Inflatable. This is by Tamar Eaton. Um, who uses performance and sculpture to reflect on the contrasts of life and death, trauma and healing, movement and stillness. The inflatable artwork on view in the emotional show was created for the second phase of a multi-year project she devised in collaboration with her New York performance collective, The Moving Company. Each stage of the project was dedicated to a different emotion, signifying color. In this context, yellow represents desire, an emotion with the power to drive action and keep away death. Bailey, how would you describe this piece to our listeners? Oh, geez, this thing is massive. Um, I remember you spoke about the artist and um, her experience in the Air Force and this kind of relation to um, parachutes. And this thing looks like a massive, like, fun house. And um, I know you and I also talked about the relationship between these two sort of, like, fort-esque shapes because initially it was designed to where you're supposed to enter the structure and, you know, kind of play in this. If you remember those sheets that you kind of like in PE class where you like flung it up in the air and then you like pulled it underneath you to sit on top of it. And it was, um, it reads very much like that. And so I think the two pieces next to each other in the space are um, super fun to look at in relationship with each other. But um, yeah, the thing is absolutely massive. Yes. And I really appreciated and enjoyed the uh, curatorial choice to put it in the space the way it is that the viewer coming in is immediately 
if going in, you know, the commonly used front door, we do have another entrance to the uh, exhibition, but nine times out of 10, like the way people come in, they're gonna be immediately confronted with it and sort of positioned in a certain way to kind of start to experience the show um, right away, which I think is really effective. Um, moving along right away to the next piece. It is called Cuff You by Heidi Ryder uh, with an eloquent Q instead of the CK. Um, Heidi Ryder says, I use the clown to explore shame without taking on the suffering that inevitably comes with it. Clowns transform despair into delight. When we watch a clown experience pain, yet retain its optimism and resilience, we, we empathetically follow them into the black hole, through hell and back out again into cathartic laughter. In 2020, she uses the figure of a clown to respond to an unusually painful year, which I'm sure we all can figure out why 2020 <laughs> was unusually painful. Um, and this piece is actually a video that you watch um, kind of on loop. Um, Heidi's sort of right central in the screen. The screen is oriented um, vertically uh, rather than like the typical kind of horizontal television screen. So it kind of immediately like adjusts your body in a way where you're kind of feeling like you're looking at a person directly as if you were in real life. Um, and balloons surround her and are kind of attached to her and the wind is blowing and it's kind of picking up um, all that sort of audio, audio um, noise of kind of like what you don't want in a video <laughs> but it works really well for this because it's already kind of immediately uncomfortable and she's basically like grimacing and like trying to retain her smile throughout uh, the entire loop of the video um, so just again that like through hell and back out again into the cathartic laughter um, totally love that with my interest in kind of holding two emotions at once and Next up, we have one of Bailey's favorites. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely one of my favorite pieces. Um, it's also a part of the collection, as I remember you speaking yes. about. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. part of the Barrick um, collection. So, um, Weakness by Brian Zimmerman. Um, it's a found wooden dining chair. It stands low on a white platform. The middle section of the back chair, or sorry, the chair's back left leg narrows until it's thin and pencil-like. And this thing looks like if you sit on it you would splat like a bug um it would just <laughs> fold right underneath you and it's so precariously um created and um yeah if that doesn't represent some sort of um sorry some sort of mfa experience i don't know what was <laughs> yeah. yeah it was definitely i think we called it a vibe like yeah. just immediately looking at it and are like yeah that's mm -hmm. that's what it that's what it feels like uh I had the honor of screwing the really thin pencil-like piece to the chair and just even that process was nerve-wracking because I thought I'm going to break this, but it it does have a surprising amount of strength to it still because it is made out of wood. Um, but just that play of like fragile strength, strength frag fragility um, really makes this piece super successful. So definitely one to look for. Um, another one that we love that also has a juicy F-bomb in it, so heads up. <laughs> um, Miguel Rodriguez just about at it. Um, Miguel describes, I use humor and color to filter difficult ideas like death, addiction, anxiety, and depression in order to subvert superficial tropes or easy answers. 
These artworks are autobiographical, but are ultimately intended to provide the viewer with an opportunity to peer into the depths of their own inner workings, to see themselves reflected back. To see myself reflected back indeed, because just about f***ing had it, um, <laughs> is a very funny, <laughs> large cookie jar. It is a functional cookie jar of Grimace, um, the purple monster slash milkshake slash Grimace from McDonald's kind of has a lot of history, um, which I learned through uh, working with this piece over the summer, um, where you can you can remove kind of his uh, head and there were cookies inside at the opening. Um, and in addition to it being this, you know, jolly purple thing, he's also holding himself. So he's kind of holding like a toy figurine of Grimace himself. So it's just a super funny um, kind of, you know, moment through the through the show where you immediately kind of recognize this character that many people know. Um, but his hands kind of up in that just about McAlpin had it kind of way. Um, so you kind of wonder, like, what's he had it with? Um, what have I had it with? So it's a really nice uh, point to kind of land in a humorous way in the show. Yeah. And yeah. oh, to be baby Grimace being coddled by large Grimace. Baby Grimace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just like, and like the idea of, you know, could you hold yourself and kind of give yourself that, like, self-care and self-love that you need sometimes and um, watching out for yourself and kind of defending like I almost think it's like defending like a childhood or like a childlike idea. It does kind of look like you know like when a child walks around with their like favorite stuffed animal it almost kind of has that sort of like body language to it. Yes absolutely. Um, So for one more we'd like to describe to you um, before we shift into part two of this recording um there is uh probably i hate picking favorites but i think this is my favorite um a portrait acquire a swell 2019 to present by jason lazarus um jason is uh, an artist based currently right now in florida um they are coming back I will have to look uh, on the website to see what day he is going to do an artist talk here at UNLV um, in the next few weeks, so look out for that. Um, But to describe this work, it is a series of sound screens. So if you're not familiar with uh, sound screen, it's kind of a device that emits uh, white noise, um, or if you're kind of more familiar with like brown noise, pink noise, green noise, just that kind of filtrated sound one place to sort of block out all the other noise around you. So um, in the description, it's stating the sound screens in a portrait acquire a swell are noise canceling devices used often by mental health workers to mask the conversations happening inside their offices. Jason says in my early 40s, I started to see a therapist and she had one of those sound screen devices outside the office door. The function of these objects had so much symbolic value that they were the edge of something very delicate and sensitive, and what's going on inside we will never really be able to know, or more importantly, represent. If things are hard to represent themselves, what might we learn by taking something on the edge of that thing? How do we bear witness to the anxiety or trauma or reparative work that is being done, that needs to be done, that some people miss out on because they're unable to access those services? So as someone who's had a white noise machine since 2016 that I sleep with, (laughs) I immediately recognized what this work was um, and was really excited at the fact that like I personally recognized it, but knew 
there would be many people that would see it and be like, what is this? Um, you know, what are these things? And I also love that the the inflatable has such a presence both in like size and color, but also sound because it's being blown up by an industrial fan. So you kind of are immediately um, invited in with this kind of swelling sound of that piece. And then this um, Jason's piece is kind of in the opposite corner um, from Tamar's piece. And it has its own sound that you kind of hear before you see it. So I really, really love um, that idea and also kind of representing something we can't necessarily see personally because of obvious privacy reasons. So how else can we kind of represent those things that are inaccessible? And then, um, you know, ac- thinking about the idea of access and access to healthcare, um, especially in our country where not everybody has that. So it's kind of one of those um, really poignant pieces, I think, in the show. Yeah, and I definitely love that idea of, you know, what that symbolizes to people that are familiar with therapy also, and just that idea of, like, imagine going into a therapist's office and, like, there's all these different, like, I guess separated, like, sections where all these therapy, like, discussions are taking place. And so I it really looked to me as this sort of collective nod towards the, um, like, working to rebuild, working to improve the community, but also that, like, you know, comfort in being alone together. Mm-hmm. Also, it's that really weird tension between, like, you know, being alone but being vulnerable, but also taking um, essentially pride in that, like, it's good to, like, heal, it's good to work on mental health, it's good to do all these things. So, yeah, yeah. it's a great piece. And great to have it here on campus, too, with, like, student. I like that students can see it and kind of question, you know, what is this, what's it for? And then, you know, maybe... They learn more about the um, counseling services that we offer, I take advantage of, um, that that could be like just a really cool moment for art to be able to kind of introduce someone to something that can then help them. Um, I think is a super cool and like powerful thing that makes art so great and why why we want to get a master's in it. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, Let's talk about the emotions of the MFA program. Um, So again, terminal degree for artists, right? I will confess um, this, I'm obtaining my second MFA at UNLV because I just didn't get enough the first time around um, and really wanted to be back in this environment. And I've had this like weird obsession with Vegas for a long time, um, which is kind of sending me through a new kind of loophole of like, all right, now you've lived here for a year. How has like the outlook changed? Still love it. Um, it's just different to vacation here than to like live here. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I've been born and raised here. It's born and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So we came together naturally very easily. <laughs> um, but yeah, so emotions, I think, of experiencing an MFA program are obviously super wide. Um, I've kind of just uh, listed out joy, despondence, confusion, frustration, amusement, poignancy, jealousy, confidence, doubt, inspiration, inadequacy, surprise, and sleepiness, just to name a few. Um, So I thought we could take some time to kind of talk about a couple of these things and what we've experienced. So, Bailey... Would you please give me the honor of telling me at a time you experienced doubt? 
Oh gosh, <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah, um, I think one of the biggest things about um, an MFA is just um, putting yourself in a situation to be um, um, essentially viewed or um, evaluated for your research. And so um, doubt is very integral to making good art, in my opinion. Like, I think that it takes a lot of risk to um, make successful work. And a lot of that like comes with a lot of doubt as well. So, I mean, it's, you know, quite impossible to really make risks unless, like, you're not sure if it's what the right choice is. But um, I guess, like, my one experience that, like, was the most doubtful thing for me, for sure, is I had a breakthrough piece. Um, I came in as a painter. I've been trained as a painter classically for, like, 10 years. And so um, I got here and just painting wasn't cutting it for me because of this, like, doubt and this unresolve and all these things that were happening with my first semester of work. And so... um, I actually like found through the program and through this community that like sculpture has been just completely earth shattering for me. So um, yeah, I made a new piece in um, cast tin and it was something so um, complicated and difficult. It's such a hard material to work with. And it was so nerve wracking because I had no idea what the piece was going to look like until it was finished on the wall. And I had an idea and I was like, oh my God, is this going to work? Is it going to be good? Is it going to fly off the wall and explode? Like, I don't know what's going to happen to it. So, um, yeah. And then after the, it ultimately made it on the wall, it didn't explode, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I got on the wall and I was like, you know what? This makes sense. Finally, some resolve mm-hmm. to like all of this ambiguity that I've been feeling. So, Yeah. That's such a good feeling. Yeah. Oh my God. When you get to that moment of like, is this going to work? And then it just like, oh, like choir, <laughs> like angels open. Yeah. yeah. I would say like, uh, freaking daily. Um, <laughs> and it's not in like a, sometimes it's in like a negative place. Like it, oh, I'm down or I'm grumpy or I have the sads or, you know, it can be more uh, unproductive. But I think like doubt as an emotion is it's definitely like all these emotions are combinations of other emotions um i think doubt can spring from a lot of like fear and apprehension and then like okay well where's the fear coming from is that you know something i've experienced or something i've yet to experience and like what's really giving me that moment of like question and doubt so i try to combat it with humor <laughs> i try to come at it in different ways and I try to just kind of remind myself that you know if you're not doubting at least a little bit then you're probably not challenging yourself enough so like kind of take it with a grain of salt as like this might be a good good thing to experience so yeah I would say that well how about um up next we got amusement you want to start that one off Ooh, yes. <laughs> Um, for amusement, I think I would say one of the times I really made, uh, I really made Wendy Kavek laugh. <laughs> um, she's one of our profs, um, graduate coordinator. She's awesome. And I actually like made her laugh out loud, like really hard and like tears were in her eyes. And we were doing a studio visit. I think this was like in the spring of this year. And I had basically taken (laughs) something that I'd found (laughs) off the street, like really close to our studios. Um, By the way, our studios are off of Maryland Parkway. We're actually across from campus and we are um, betwixt the 7-Eleven and the Chipotle in what was a former Carl's Jr. establishment. So 
all my like cheeseburger energy came to like true love life when I really when I learned that we were going to be in that kind of space um so yeah we were having the studio visit and I think it just cracked her up that I took something that did not belong to me and I turned it into this like somewhat altar um because I'm very fascinated by altars and like reliefs and things like kind of coming off the wall but not you know quite in the round and it weighs like a thousand pounds um and it's still sitting in my studio untouched to this day my favorite part of the altar was the painted rock that you found or oh you said that i yeah. painted into a chicken yeah <laughs> grilled chicken yes <laughs> i found this perfect rock shaped like a chicken breast and i painted it and i Unlike Bailey's magnificent way to paint, like <laughs> skills for life for years, I do not know how to paint. And I just put it on, like, I always describe it as like when you paint walls in your house, like I just put the color on and like, okay, like I don't know how to do values. <laughs> so I just I painted this thing with like stripes and it's a little chicken press. So, <laughs> oh, good times. Yeah. I think we have time for one more. Do you want to pick? Oh boy. Um. I guess. Hmm. I'll talk about poignancy yeah. for my own experience. Um, there's um, a lot of really important um, things that happen with faculty on campus, and they're some of the greatest role models, especially when you're picking an MFA program. I really like the faculty we have to choose from. That's why I'm here. Um, but I had a chat with a faculty member recently that talked a lot about community involvement and we chatted about like what it means to leave space for your community. Um, also, there's a lot of power in saying no in terms of uplif uplifting your community um, and encouraging the next generation of artists. So working as an independent artist and researcher plus an educator, like where is that tension in terms of like showing your work in the community? And um, this educator talked a lot about like, you know, know your boundary of like when um, it's time to uplift others rather than just like making sure that like you are the coolest guy around or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was really refreshing to um, see that an educator approach the community with great care and allowing um, different things to exist simultaneously. So in terms of like, you know, showing up to an event, are you an artist, an educator or a person? Like if you're mm. going to go to an opening, like what kind of hat are you going to put on today? Um, you know, yeah, things like that. Oh, yeah. I think about that for a while. Yeah. I think that's a wonderful place to end. I will let you all know. We'll go through our where you can find us spiel. Um, I am on Instagram, just Katie B. Funk, all lowercase. I do have a website, katiebfunk.com. Um, and we are going to have some shows coming up. We have open studios on December 8th from 5 to 8 p.m. That is going to be in that wonderful Carl's Jr. GRS. Um, and then Bailey, where yeah. are you at? All right, I'm on Instagram. Uh, you can find me at B A N D Y 2.1, so Bandy 2.1. And my website is bandyart.com or artbandy.com. I don't really know. I got to refresh it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we got a couple shows coming up. Um, you can catch some of us at uh, Temporary Relief at Art Walk on November 3rd. Um, that'll be in the Grant Hall Gallery, which is GRA 123. Um, and we also got an upcoming off-campus show called Stone Soup. It's a really sort of experimental format. So if you guys are interested in outdoors um, experiences, um, 
keep an eye on some social media. You might see some artists posting about the event. Um, the coordinates for the show are going to drop next week, Tuesday or Thursday. We haven't really quite figured that out yet. But um, south of Las Vegas on November 11th. Um, it's a camping event. There's lots of outdoor sculpture, outdoor paintings, all kinds of super cool stuff. So hope to catch you guys there. Awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to special programming aired in collaboration with the Marjorie Barrick Museum of Art on the campus of UNLV. The content of this program did not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education.